Welcome back to the show, 0829-913-913, time for our Friday book review. In my hand is a book that I think has been long, long overdue. It's entitled Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman, South Africa's first elected black politician. It's authored by Martin Plough. Um, Martin Plough, who is online, is currently a senior research fellow at the University of London, studied at UCT, Wits and Warwick before joining the BBC as a journalist in 1984. He reported extensively from Africa. He retired in 2013 as African editor of the BBC World Service News. He has advised the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, the U.S. State Department, and the European Parliament. He leads the Africa program of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, known as Chatham House, and is an active member of the Royal African Society. This particular book is produced by Jakarta Publications. Very briefly, Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman was the first person of color ever to be elected to political office in South Africa. He represented some of the poorest people in Cape Town on the city council and the provincial council until uh, from 1904 for 36 years. He was beloved by the people of District 6 for whom he fought so hard. In fact, uh, says the book sleeve, Dr. Abdurrahman is a forgotten giant of the fight for justice. The grandson of slaves, he trained as a doctor in Scotland, returning to the Cape with a Scottish wife. And, of course, uh, if you don't know, his daughter, one daughter, was Sissy Gould. And, of course, in Rylands, there's Sissy Gould Boulevard. Well, Sissy Gould was also one of the most important political figures of a generation. Martin Plough, welcome. Thank you very much. Indeed, I had to do a bit of a long uh, introduction because um, I think a lot of people have forgotten exactly who Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman was. And until you wrote this book, the, the history about him was quite fragmented, wasn't it? Lots of gaps and missing pieces. Yeah, I'm afraid that that is certainly true. And yet, you know, when he died, the whole of uh, Cape Town came to a halt. Uh, I mean, the, uh, you know, he, his uh, cortege was, was carried on people's shoulders all the way from his home in Kloof Neck right the way through to Mowbray. And it, it was the, the, the tail end of the, of the procession was in Woodstock, when they were actually at the grave. And, you know, he, he had, uh, you know, tributes were paid from everybody across the spectrum, uh, from the prime minister right down to the people on the parade. I mean, the, uh, the, all the shops on the parade closed for, for, for the day when he died. So he was seen in that way. But you're quite right. I mean, it's, it's been tremendously difficult to piece together his biography because I'm afraid all his personal papers, apart from a few, few tiny fragments, been lost. This is a sad thing about our local history. I'm researching um, another historical personality and the family, it seems, have lost a lot of the papers. It's sad, but we have to just deal with it. But Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman is an extraordinary uh, character, isn't he? The son, a grandson of slaves. Um, he graduates from the famous stone in District 6 where people used to sort of make political speeches to the funeral that you've described. But what goes in between is quite amazing, isn't it? Um, he traveled to England, he went to India, and he was fighting in his inimitable way for, for political dignity. 
the fact that he never really succeeded doesn't detract from his achievements at all, does it? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I, I, it's been said uh, frequently, and was said, said in fact by by his daughter that if uh, Sissy that if he if he'd been white, he'd have been the mayor of Cape Town, <laughs> uh, and you know he was on the uh, Cape uh, Provincial Council as well. He was one of the very first few people of colour ever to be on the provincial council, and he sat there and. You know, there was literally hardly a single person who came through Cape Town who didn't come to see him, to talk to him, to get his views. He was a personal friend of uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. He was um, somebody who knew the first leader of the British Labour Party, uh, Keir Starmer, personally. Um, I mean, they, they knew each other well. And, you know, he was just somebody who could bring people together. But he had one abiding uh, determination, which was to fight for the rights of uh, the colored people that he represented, particularly in District 6, which is where he, where he was the councillor for. But also to get, if, there were, I suppose, two things, really. The first was education. Mm. Absolutely determined to do everything he could to make sure that people had a, the opportunity of a good education. There's so many schools in the Cape and beyond who, that were actually started by him. And the second thing he was, that, uh, that he saw the need to unite people of color. And he spent his lifetime trying to bring people together in a variety of different ways. And, uh, you know, the real tragedy was that while he was moving and trying to hold on to that tradition, don't forget in the Cape there was the vote. People had the vote in the Cape. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was being eroded all the time, and the wind was against him the whole time with people like Smuts and Herzog were pushing it in the opposite direction and that was his great struggle the whole lifetime to try and resist the racism yeah i mean it's 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 really interesting that you're bringing out that point because you know we're talking about the time of union uh, after the boer war when the orange free state transvaal the cape and i think the eastern cape I, I might get the provinces wrong we're going to join but the only province where there was um uh, a, a, a sense of you know where there was something of a franchise was in the Cape, and um, it was almost like he was on a sinking ship, as you've just described. But it's it's quite amazing in the sense that he was a man. He stood for principle, but he was a politician of moderation. He wasn't a firebrand, yet he knew so many firebrands. Well, you know, you say that he wasn't a firebrand, and yet from time to time. He made some really dramatic statements. Uh, I mean, he, he made it clear that if he told uh, people, uh, for example, he goes to India to fight for the, in 1925, to fight for the rights of the Indian population. And when he goes there, he actually uh, attends the Congress uh, Party, that's the Indian Congress Party um, uh, annual conference, and he makes a statement which is really, really powerful. I mean, he says, you know, in a sense, he, he more or less says, if you don't uh, give the rights to people, uh, uh, to the Indian people and the other people of color in South Africa, you will be swept away, he says, to, to the white population. And people in, I mean, the, the, he was on the provincial council at the time. It almost cost him his seat. Um, but he was, you know, he, he was from time to time prepared to use radical uh, language. He was also prepared to use radical means. For example, he uh, tried to start a trade union movement that would bring everybody together. It was a non-racial trade union movement. Um, he was prepared to hold demonstrations. He was prepared to, hold, to support strikes at certain times. The only thing he never did was to call 
for uh, armed insurrection. But then, quite frankly, if you look at this period until the, the beginning of the Second World War, nobody called for that. So he was, he was in with everybody from the Communist Party through to the Liberal Party. Nobody called for that, but they all tried to resist in the best way that they could. No, absolutely. And of course, what is interesting uh, um, about the book you've written, we, we sort of get um, an insight into the very early days, I would say, of anti-apartheid politics, just um, via the people that he meets, people like Saul Pleitschi, um, he meets uh, Mahatma Gandhi, and, and so many other people who were to bl- play a big role on the political anti-apartheid political landscape of South Africa. Yeah, I mean, people forget that uh, Saul Pleitchi was actually a member, um, and, uh, although he was an African, he was a member of the, what was called the African Political Organization, the APO, which uh, Dr. Durman led. It was uh, essentially a colored um, organization. But uh, Saul Pleitchi was a member uh, in Kimberley. So, I mean, you know, there, there, was, there was this reaching out between them. When the, when the ANC is founded uh, in 1912, they come to Cape Town to discuss with the, with the government, and they have a meeting with the APO, and they agree to work closely together. The problem was that, unfortunately, it was never possible to bring everybody together in one great organization. There were a whole series of initiatives which people took to try and resist uh, what I described as this growing trend towards repression and towards uh, racism that comes first under Smuts and then under Herzog. And, uh, you know, it was it literally was like dr- they were putting their, their feet into the dirt, trying to hold back, uh, you know, the, the, this, this move uh, towards, the, towards the right. But uh, nobody managed to do it. And uh, it was a great tragedy. Uh, and he felt it personally very, very strongly. Um, you know, there's so many elements that I would love to have discovered more about. And I, I very much hope that this is only the first biography uh, uh, about Dr. Abdurrahman. I hope that others find other elements that I have missed, uh, because he is somebody who deserves it. And, you know, I think one of the great things that happened in the last few years is that we have begun to see glimpses of early uh, people of color who took these kind of positions. We can learn from them. We can understand what, what they gave to the country and how South Africa was not just built by whites and not just built by racists. It was built by people who stood in the completely opposite corner. Now, I mean, I, I think that is certainly um, a valid point that you're making. Um, I, I think a lot of people are extremely excited that at last um, there is something on Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman because he's spoken about a lot, but it's very difficult to, to substantiate anything because as, you, as we sort of pointed out at the beginning, there just isn't much about him because his papers just disappeared. And you've had to um, cobble together, which I think is, is a very readable and a very interesting biography of um, the life and times of Dr. Abdullah uh, Abdurrahman. Uh, well, some, so, very yeah, kind of you. Yeah. Something interesting that, that comes out of it is that um, I, he was very universal. Um, he, he, he tried to defend so-called Africans of his time and he also spent quite a bit of time uh, with Mahatma Gandhi and uh, working with the Indian community over the problems that they were experiencing in this um, unfolding South Africa which sadly was going to be uh, um, an apartheid state. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, one of the interesting things is that 
uh, Gandhi went as the you know the the uh, the racism was ratcheting up in in the country. There were further and further attempts to restrict the rights of Indian people, and uh, eventually uh, Gandhi sent in 1924 one of his uh, strongest associates, Sarojini Naidu, who was an extraordinary woman. She was the first woman to chair the Congress Party. She was a poet, a very, very staunch woman. And she comes to South Africa, and uh, she is basically trying to, you know, unite people and bring them together. And she meets uh, the doctor, and she meets Sissy Gould. And Sissy, I, I think she was the strongest influence on Sissy. Sissy saw in um, Sarajini somebody who, you know, who is completely fearless. And uh, when she, when uh, Sarajini leaves um, South Africa, she says, "I leave myself, but I leave my heart behind with you. I leave part of me with you, and I will never forget you." And she never did. Neither she nor Gandhi ever forgot their relationship with South Africa. And um, then, when the, things get worse, the Indian Congress eventually turns to Dr. Abdurman and says, to him, "Please, would you lead a delegation to India to go and see the Viceroy?" and to, to basically put pressure on the Indians to intervene for the Indian government, which was led by the British, of course, by that, that time, to intervene in South Africa. And Dr. Abdurman went, and he was remarkably successful. It was really an extraordinary initiative. And the, the, uh, the, the, the statements that the, uh, the Viceroy uh, writes back to, um, to London were, were, were great. I mean... I'll just read you very briefly what uh, the, the Viceroy, Lord Reading, says. He says, I received Dr. Abdurrahman the deputation of Indians from South Africa today. Dr. Abdurrahman uh, put forward powerful and well-argued statements of disability, of humiliation, descri describing social, political, and economic life that's been imposed on Indians by legislation in the Union, and of apprehension not only without ground, not without ground, of the uh, legislation that faces them. Much stress was laid by Dr. Rahman, actually that's what he called him, on, on the favorable treatment of the white element of the population. I found the position very difficult. I'm deeply impressed by the humiliation to which Indians in South Africa are subjected and by the gravity of the implications of the projected legislation. And as a result of, of this sort of attack, shall we say, in India on what was going on in South Africa, eventually... Even Herzog was forced to retreat. It was only a temporary retreat, but the legislation was actually binned for a while. And, uh, you know, it was just one of the interventions that the doctor made, not on behalf of his own community, but on behalf of another community. Uh, and that was, you know, I think one of the reasons why he was so admired, because he was somebody who really stood above. He was very much in the community in, in District 6, Loved by them, anyone could come in and have a cup of tea, but he was he, in a sense, straddled the whole of of, of Southern Africa and had, had links beyond beyond them uh, to the rest of the world. No, I, I mean that's really profound, and to sort of to latch on to to what you've said, there is a picture in the centre of the book, which has got uh, Sarojini Naidu. Um, she's been garlanded, and uh, standing next to her is Sissy Gul. It's a really powerful picture because Sissy Gould has got fire 
in her eyes. And she became a very fiery politician later on. And Dr. Abdurrahman is, is standing behind them. But it, it's quite a catching photograph. It sort of it catches quite a mood, doesn't it? Doc, Dr. Abdurrahman standing behind. He looks haggard. He looks tired. You can see the strain of the years on him. But Sissy Gul is standing there. She's fresh and she's full of fight. Absolutely, and, and that was what, what, what she was. And they had an amazing relationship, the two of them. And they were actually on the city council at the same time. <laughs> and uh, what is extraordinary is that, although they were very different, I mean, she was a, a member of the Communist Party, um, he was a member of the APO, and uh, he, he was definitely more moderate, moderate than she was. But, you know, he actually supported her uh, election. He, he endorsed her he, he gave his, his political backing for her to be on the council. Sometimes on the council, she attacked him openly and criticized his position. Sometimes he, on the, on, in, in a, I think he was in PAL, he made a statement saying, you know, that, that the really the, uh, the communists only hung on her, um, on, on, her, on her skirt, so to speak. So they, they did fight each other politically. But when he was ill, she was the first person to be by his bedside. When he died... She was the person in uh, in the, in the first car, um, you know, uh, of the of the cortege. I think one of the things that one must remember about him is that he wasn't somebody who only looked at, sort of say, politics. He was an extraordinary man. For example, he intervened to try and ensure that cricket could be played um, by ordinary people on the uh, on on the parade. He was somebody who ensured that the. Uh, uh, you know, the New Year festivities were, would, would go on. Cape Point Nature Reserve, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he, uh, he was somebody who, who passion, was passionate about the False Bay area. He loved fishing. He had a yacht. He, uh, he, was, a, he was one of the first supporters of the, uh, the Nature Reserve in Cape Point. All these things he did as well. And yet today, sadly, so few people really know much about him. But he's, he's, a, he's a really 3D technicolor person. Absolutely. I'm going to read um, on page 175 one of the last addresses he gave at the final APO conference. It's a year before he's about to pass on, and he says, The age of chivalry, tolerance, and kindliness has passed away, and an age of fear, of unreasoning suspicion, and of blind prejudice, which is the deformed offspring of the union of these two, has usurped its place. True learning is in the course of liquidation. Fresh, constructive, far-sighted and dispassionate thinking is at an awful discount and mere lip service is being paid to the great principle of love already distorted by racial bias that its original purity and simplicity can no longer be found or even recognized. Very eloquent man. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that sums up uh, his position. And of course, this is 1939 as the clouds of war were gathering not just over... Um, uh, over Europe, but of course over South Africa, because uh, you know one of the, the the other things that he was involved with was the uh, the support for um, the uh, coloured troops who wanted to go and join and fight fascism. Uh, and he was he he helped in the recruitment both in the first and the second world war, and spoke uh, passionately always afterwards. One of the interesting things is with although he supported the war effort, he never thought. That 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 the the, uh, the the local people would get the recognition that they deserve right from the beginning. He always said we must go and fight to show you know where we stand on this issue. 
but they will treat us badly at the end. And I'm afraid that was tragically true. And the, uh, you know, the Cape Corps, as it was, for example, was disbanded after the First World War, despite the tremendous service that they had played and the proud record of the, uh, of the covered troops in the First and the Second World War was subsequently ignored. And, you know, that is just one of the great tragedies of, of South Africa, that people in the community had played such an amazing role in, uh, in, the, in the education, in, the, in fighting for their country, and yet, when, you know, as apartheid was, was uh, you know, coming to strangle the life out of liberalism and, and justice in South Africa, their contribution was ignored, as was the, gradually the contribution of Dr. Abdurrahman himself. And uh, we have to leave it there, but uh, Martin, as you say, right at the end of the book, Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman has thrown a long shadow down the years. And I'm so glad, and I think everybody's glad, you've written a book about uh, Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman, South Africa's first elected black politician, Jakarna Publications. And it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Uh, we're very excited about the book and made fly off the shelves. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm pleased to have been with you and your listeners. Thank you.